Hi, this is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 14 of The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. Number three. When God makes such a promise to his people, yet still it must be with this reservation that God must have Liberty for these three things. Little number one, that notwithstanding his promise, he will have liberty to make use of anything for your chastisement. Little number two, that he must have liberty to make use of your wealth or liberties or lives for the furtherance of his own ends if it is to be a stumbling block to wicked and ungodly men. God must have liberty. Though he has made a promise to you, he will not release the propriety that he has in your possessions and lives. Little number three, God must have sufficient liberty to make use of what you have to show that his ways are unsearchable and his judgments past finding out. God reserves these three things in his hand, still. Objection. But you will say, what good then is there in such a promise that God makes to his people? Roman numeral one, that you are under the protection of God more than others. But what comfort is this if it befalls me? Answer, you have this comfort, that the evil of it shall be taken from you, that if God will make use of this affliction for other ends, yet he will do it so as to make it up to you in some other way. Perhaps you have given your children something, but afterwards, if you have a use for that thing, you will come and say, I must have it. Why, father, the child may say, You gave it to me, but I must have it, says the father, and I will make it up to you in some other way. The child does not think that the father's love is ever a whit the less to him. So when there is any such promise as this, that God, by his promise, gives you his protection, and yet for all that, such a thing befalls you, it is only as if the father should say, I gave you that indeed, but let me have it, and I will make it up to you in some other way. That shall be as good. God says, let me have your health and liberty and life, and it shall be made up to you in some other way. Number two, whenever the plague or pestilence comes to those who are under such a promise, it is for some special and notable work, and God requires them to search and examine in a special manner to find out his meaning. There is so much to be learned in the promise that God has made concerning this particular evil, that the people of God may come to quiet and content their hearts in this affliction. 
I read in this psalm that God has made a promise to his people to deliver them from the plague and pestilence, and yet I find it has come. It may be that I have not made use of my faith in this promise heretofore, and if God brings afflictions upon me yet, he will make it up some other way. God made a promise to deliver me, or at least to deliver me from all the evil of it. Now if this thing does befall me, and yet I have a promise of God, certainly the evil of it is taken away. This promise tells me that if it does befall me, yet it is for some notable end. And because God has a use for my life and intends to bring out his glory some way that I do not know of, and if he will come in a fatherly way of chastisement, yet I will be satisfied in the thing. So a Christian heart, by reasoning out of the word, comes to satisfy his soul in the midst of such a heavy hand of God and in such a distressed condition as that. Now, carnal hearts do not find that power in the word, that healing virtue that is in it to heal their distracting cares and the troubles of their spirits. But when those who are godly come to hear the word, they find in it, as it were, a plaster for all their wounds, and so... They come to have ease and contentment in such conditions as are very grievous and miserable to others. But as for other particular promises, and more generally for the covenant of grace, how and in what a mysterious way the saints work to get contentment and satisfaction to their souls, we shall refer to these things in the next chapter. Chapter 4 The Mystery of Contentment Concluded In the last chapter, we spoke of several things in the mystery of contentment, and at the close we spoke of two more, but we did not have time to open either of them. I shall now open them a little more fully, then proceed to some few more. That is the next thing, then. A Christian heart not only has contentment in God, and certainly he who has God, who himself has all, must have all. But he is able to make up all his outward wants of creature comforts from what he finds in himself. That may seem to be more strange. It is true, perhaps, that even though men do not feel by experience what it is to make up all in God, yet we may convince them that if they have him who has all things, then they have all, for there is such a fullness in God, he being the infinite first being of all things, that may make up all their wants. But here is another thing that is beyond that. I say, a godly man can make up whatever he lacks without the creature. He can make it up in himself. In Proverbs 14.14, 14, we read, A good man shall be satisfied from himself. Suppose, for example, that he lacks outward comforts, good cheer, and feasting. A good conscience is a continual feast, so he can make up the lack of a feast 
by the peace that he has in his own conscience. If he lacks melody in the world, he has a bird within him that sings the most melodious songs in the world and the most delightful. And then does he lack honor? He has his own conscience witnessing for him, that is, as a thousand witnesses. The scripture says in Luke seventeen twenty one. Neither shall they say, Lo here, or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. A Christian, then, whatever he lacks, he can make it up, for he has a kingdom in himself. The kingdom of God is within you. If a king meets with a great deal of trouble when he is abroad, he contents himself with this. I have a kingdom of my own. It is said here, the kingdom of God is within a man. Now, if those of you who are learned look into the commentary on this gospel by a certain scholar, you will find he has a very strange idea about this text. He confesses that it is unutterable, and so it is. The kingdom of God is within you, but he understands it, that there is such a presence of God and Christ within the soul of a man That when the body dies, he says, the soul goes into God and Christ who are within him. The soul's going into God and Christ and enjoying that communion with God and Christ that is within itself, that is heaven to it, he says. He confesses he is not able to express himself and others cannot understand fully what he means, but certainly for the present, before death, There is a kingdom of God within the soul, such a manifestation of God in the soul as is enough to content the heart of any godly man in the world. The kingdom that he now has within him. He need not wait till afterwards, till he goes to heaven, but certainly there is a heaven in the soul of a godly man. He has heaven already. Many times, when you go to comfort your friends in their afflictions, you say, heaven will pay for all. Indeed, you may assuredly find heaven pays for all already. There is a heaven within the souls of the saints. That is a certain truth. No soul shall ever come to heaven, but the soul which has heaven come to it. First, when you die, you hope you will go to heaven. But if you will go to heaven when you die, heaven will come to you before you die. Now, this is a great mystery to have the kingdom of heaven in the soul. No man can know this but the soul which has it. The heaven which is within the soul for the present is like the white stone and the new name that none but those that have it can understand it. It is a miserable condition, my brethren, to depend altogether upon creatures for our contentment. You know that rich men account it a great happiness if they do not need to go to buy things by the penny as others do. They have all things for pleasure or profit on their own ground, and all their inheritance lies entire together. Nobody comes within them, But they have everything within themselves. There lies their happiness. Whereas other, poorer people, 
are fain to go from one market to another to provide their necessities. Great rich men have sheep and beeves, corn and clothing, and all things else of their own within themselves, and herein they place their happiness. But this is the happiness of a Christian, that he has that within himself which may satisfy him more than all these. There is a place in the first chapter of James that seems to allude to the condition of men who have all their wealth within themselves. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. James 1, 4. The word there used signifies to have the whole inheritance to ourselves, not a broken inheritance, but that where all lies within themselves, not like a man who has a piece of his estate here and a piece there, but one who has it all lying together. When the heart is patient under afflictions, it finds itself in such an estate as this, finds its whole inheritance together and all complete within itself. This concludes episode 14 of Jeremiah Burroughs, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment.